We're going to read from the Gospel of John. It's a long passage, and part of the reason for that is that that's how John writes. John writes in big chunks, and John tells stories that are interwoven with other stories that are intended to connect and reconnect and connect again as we go through John's Gospel. So this is going to take a little while for us to read this passage, but I invite you to... um, I invite you to let it carry you, to let it guide your thinking. If you get hung up on a certain image or word or thought, um, that's okay. Uh, You can catch up with us uh, later on. It is the story of the encounter with the man who had been born blind, and it is in John chapter 9, and we're going to read verses 1 through 41. As Jesus walked along, he saw someone who had been born blind. The disciples asked Jesus, Rabbi, was it this individual's sin that caused the blindness or that of the parents? Neither, answered Jesus. It wasn't because of anyone's sin, not this person's nor the parents. Rather, it was to let God's works shine forth in this person. We must do the deeds of the one who sent me while it is still day, for night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. With that, Jesus spat on the ground, made mud with his saliva, and smeared the blind one's eyes with the mud. Then Jesus said, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam. Siloam means scent. So the person went off to wash and came back able to see. Neighbors and those who had been accustomed to seeing the blind beggar began to ask, Isn't this the one who used to sit and beg? Some said yes. Others said no. The one who had been healed simply looked like the beggar. But the individual in question said, no, it was me. The people then asked, then how were your eyes opened? The answer came, the one they called Jesus made mud and smeared it on my eyes and told me to go to Siloam and wash. When I went and washed, I was able to see. Where is Jesus, they asked. The person replied, I have no idea. They took the one who had been born blind to the Pharisees. It had been on a Sabbath that Jesus had made the mud paste and opened this one's eyes. The Pharisees asked how the individual could see. They were told, Jesus put mud on my eyes. I washed it off, and now I can see. This prompted some of the Pharisees to say, This Jesus cannot be from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. Others argued, But how could a sinner perform signs like these? They were sharply divided. Then they addressed the blind person again. Since it was your eyes he opened, what do you have to say about this Jesus? He's a prophet, came the reply. The temple authorities refused to believe that this one had been blind and had begun to see until they summoned the parents. Is this your child? they asked. And if so, do you attest that your child was blind at birth? How do you account for the fact that now your child can see? The parents answered, We know this is our child, blind from birth. But how our child can see now Or who opened those blind eyes? We have no idea. Don't ask us. 
Our child is old enough to speak without us. The parents answered this way because they were afraid of the temple authorities who had already agreed among themselves that anyone who acknowledged Jesus as the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. That was why they said, our child is of age and should be asked directly. A second time, they summoned the one who had been born blind and said, give God the glory instead. We know that this Jesus is a sinner. I don't know whether he is a sinner or not, the individual answered. All I know is that I used to be blind, and now I see. They persisted. Just what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? I already told you, but you won't listen to me, came the answer. Why do you want to hear it all over again? Don't tell me you want to become disciples of Jesus, too. They retorted scornfully, You're the one who is Jesus' disciple. We're disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but we have no idea where this Jesus comes from. The other retorted, Well, this is news. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God doesn't hear sinners, but that if people are devout and obey God's will, God listens to them. It is unheard of that anyone ever gave sight to a person blind from birth. If this one were not from God, he could never have done such a thing. What? they exclaimed. You're steeped in sin from birth and you're giving us lectures? And with that, they threw the person out. When Jesus heard of the expulsion, he sought out the healed one and asked, Do you believe in the chosen one? The other answered, Who is this one that I may believe? You're looking at him, Jesus replied. The chosen one is speaking to you now. The healed one said, Yes, I believe, and worshipped Jesus. And Jesus said, I came into this world to execute justice, to make the sightless see and the seeing blind. Some of the Pharisees who were nearby heard this and said, You're not calling us blind, are you? To which Jesus replied, If you were blind, there would be no sin in that. But since you say, we see, your sin remains. There is a lot going on in this story. Like most of what John writes, there are multiple layers of metaphor and symbolism. There's light and there is blindness and there is seeing and there is understanding. There is believing, which for John is the primary concern of almost everything in the book. He even says it out loud, or sorry, writes it down on paper. These things are written so that you may believe and that in believing you may have life. And I think that that's probably the ultimate arc of this whole story is what it means to have life, what it means to be in the fullness of life and have life abundant. This story has lots of little messages in it, and a couple of those I think are important and I don't want us to miss. The first is that the challenges and limitations we face in life are not because of sin. They are opportunities to let the wonder and mystery of God rise to the surface. They are there for us to be able to point to the way God works, even in spite of the things that go wrong in our lives, 
and to point to those and say, yes, that is God at work. The question initially that Jesus' disciples ask is the one about who sinned. And in that time and place, it was probably the most predominant understanding of those things that are wrong in our lives to say that they come from God because of the sin in our lives. Jesus strongly refutes that notion and does so in other places as well. I think it's one of the biggest mistakes we make in our faith journey to understand the things that go wrong in our lives as somehow punishment or somehow a judgment from God. Jesus seems to clearly be saying that's not the case. The second thing I think is interesting about this passage is that people have this tendency to limit what God can do. And the limits that we put on God come from our own presumptions and understandings about how the world works and what God does in it. But over and over again, we bump into situations where our, our understanding of how God works doesn't match what's going on in the world. And ultimately, I think that's what this story is about. People have to confront the fact that a healing took place, that someone came into more abundant life, that something wonderful and life-giving took place, and it doesn't fit what they believe about God, so they have to try to tamp that down and make it go away. And we see that happen over and over again in our faith lives. We're in a situation right now where it's tempting for us to think that, that this is how God is working in the world, that somehow God sends disease or somehow God sends misfortune. And yet, as we find this situation unfolding, we see all kinds of signs of people being generous, of people caring for other people, of folks who are concerned and expressing that concern, finding creative ways to help meet the needs of the people around them. Finally, this story is a story of rejection, the ultimate cutting off from someone. It's a story of kicking someone out who doesn't fit the mold and doesn't support the status quo. This story is for anyone who has ever been told that they don't belong, that their life somehow is deficient or inadequate or even sinful. Maybe it's because of who you love. Maybe it's because of what's important to you and what you value. Maybe it's because of the work you do or the place you live or the way you dress or speak. But this story refutes that and says we are all children of God. When we reject people who differ from us, who have a different experience of God than we have, we are hamstringing the community of faith. And we are muzzling the voice of the Holy Spirit. This story is a story about listening to an important witness in a community of faith. And if we think about the voices that are being heard, it starts out with the disciples asking a question. The healing takes place. There's more questions. The Pharisees are split at first. They're divided sharply over this issue. And yet by the end of the story, the only voices we seem to hear are the voices of those who would exclude and ostracize and expel. They win the day because they keep getting louder and louder.
And I sometimes read this story and wonder, what happened to the Pharisees who disagreed at the beginning? Were they cowed into silence? Did they give up? Did they choose the path of least resistance? We are in a time now when the hearing of voices will become more and more important. As resources to treat disease and protect ourselves from infection become more and more scarce, some people's voices may not be heard and their needs might not get met. So an important part of this story for us right now is to listen to all the voices, to hear the stories of those who are suffering, to hear the stories of those who are afraid, to hear the stories of those who have compassion and have found a creative way to meet the needs around them. At the end of this story, Jesus says he came so that some would become seeing and some would become blind. Maybe we have to be blind to our own privilege and power so that we can hear and see what is really going on. Let us remember to always follow the voice that leads us into a place of peace. Now I'm going to invite you into a time of prayer. And it's a good time to use that pad and pencil or pen that you got earlier. I would like you to think for a moment about the people in your neighborhood, in your community, um, who are near to you, who are in need of prayer. Uh, prayer is a good way in a time like this for us to, to keep ourselves from thinking only of ourselves. And so at the end of this prayer, um, I will invite you to join me in saying the words of the Lord's Prayer. Let's pray. Holy One, in the midst of uncertain times, we, we need to turn to you more, not less, and we ask, O oh God, that you help us to face the future with trust and that we believe in what you can do for us and for those around us. We pray this day for all of those who are desperately traveling and trying to get home. We pray for those who've already arrived home and have to stay in quarantine for a time. May all know your peace and may all be guided by your presence and power. We pray this day for all of those whose medical procedures or tests have had to be postponed. We pray that they might know your strength. We pray that they might be peace and be hopeful for the future. We pray for all of those who are working in emergency services and direct health care. We ask that you keep them safe. We pray for all of those who are faithfully showing up for work because there is something essential about their job. And we ask, O oh God, that they see their job not merely as a way of putting in their hours, but as a way of being heroic and fulfilling their calling. We pray for leaders who have to make difficult decisions. And we pray for all of those who are frightened and uncertain. 
Help us to lift up stories of those who persevere. Help us to raise up those who are struggling. Help us to be mindful and perceptive that when we see the needs of our neighbors and friends, we might figure out how to meet them while keeping everyone safe. And finally, O God, we have come to you with the prayer that Jesus taught his followers. And we say these words together. Our Abba, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Well, there's no way for us to pass an offering plate this morning. I just want to remind you all that the needs of your churches, uh, whether you're a member here or somewhere else, go on even when the doors are shut. Uh, we, can, we can cut back on a few expenses, but uh, for the most part, uh, the, the work of the church goes on. So I invite you to, um, to be faithful in your giving. I invite you to think about uh, other things that you can do to help in your community and your neighborhood. Um, one of the things going on in our denomination right now is something called One Great Hour of Sharing. It's an all-church mission offering. And uh, if you would like to donate to that or any other of the ministries we do, you can go to our website, urbucc.org, and there is a Donate tab on the website, and that will give you options for things to give to. But I want you to think more broadly than that. I want you to think about how the energy and spirit of God might shine forth in your life because of the gifts and the blessings you have to share. Look around your space and see what kinds of blessings there might be. Make a list of the gifts and blessings you have to offer and make a list of folks in your sphere, your circle of existence right now, who might need something, and see if there might be a match. I invite you to join me in prayer again as we give thanks for all of the blessings that God has given. Holy One, we give you thanks for all of the communities of faith of which we are a part. We give thanks for and ask your blessing upon all those who work to bring health care and essential services and some sense of normalcy to us in this time of uncertainty. We thank you for the connections we can maintain via technology or mail or simply waving from a distance. And we thank you for the relationships that make our lives worth living. We thank you for the opportunities we have to express our love and affection for one another. Keep us hopeful and keep us generous, even as we give up some of what is important to us. May it teach us compassion and empathy for those who have little. Amen.